0: All right, Christian Warriors for God, this is Good and Evil Part 3. Let's pray and jump into it. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Father, I ask you that you give each individual a spirit of wisdom, revealed knowledge of you and your word, and that you would enlighten the eyes of our understanding that we may walk in victory and all the riches, honor, and life that you paid for us to have, Lord Jesus, in the covenant. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Good and Evil Part 3, our our jumping-off scripture for the last few weeks has been Romans 12, 9. Let your love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. And then we saw last time in Romans 12, 21. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And then we saw our definitions of good and evil. The bad list and the good list. <laughs> the evil list. Right. There's 15 components that make up evil. Adversity. Affliction, calamity, displeasure, anxiety and worry, grief, harm, heaviness, hurt, ill favor, misery, sadness, sorrow, trouble, and wrong. And then our good list, right? We saw that good means beautiful, bountiful, better, cheerful and glad, at ease. You're relaxed and unworried, well favored, health and prosperity, happy welfare, loving the God kind of love, agape, kind and useful and helpful, pleasing, pleasure, delighted and satisfied, sweet and rich, possess, possessing winning qualities, ready, available for immediate lose, prosperity and wealth, success, great abundance, precious and high value, highly priced, excellence, the finest and the best, refined like... Gold and silver and pure, okay, so <laughs> this week we're going we're going to dig in a little deeper and we're going to uh, see some more things in the scriptures with this concept of good and evil and I want you there's really we would need to wear two hats if you will that's the same way we have two there's two roles that we're playing one, you're in a pastor's training course, right so you have the one role is as a minister and a pastor, a leader in the of the flock an under shepherd. The other role you're playing is you're, as a, you're a disciple yourself. So when we need to be teachers and masters and instructors or leaders, and in the other role, we're actually a disciple ourselves and a student. So I want you to keep that in mind. So in Ecclesiastes 5, we're going to start there today, Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 1. Now, remember, these two. you think about this as two ways we're going to think about it. One, as the pastor or the leader the minister, and also as a member of the congregation, if you will, as a follower and a student. So here's what Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 1 says, Keep thy foot when you go to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they consider not that they do evil. So think about this. And this is, this has been my experience in church growing up. And my mom and dad were missionaries and my dad was a church planter and I grew up in church. And whenever we went to the house of God, everybody was looking to do sacrifice. We're looking to give, uh, do our good deeds, if you will. We're looking to give our time and to volunteer to do work. We're looking to give our money. And the ministers are looking for us to volunteer and to do work and to give our money and our efforts, right? They're looking for that sacrifice. They're looking for offerings and sacrifice. They're looking for work. King Solomon here in Ecclesiastes says, listen, when you go to the house of God, be more ready to hear than you are doing sacrifice." He says and he calls you foolish if you do that. If you're if you're less ready to hear and more ready to do your good deeds and do your good checklist right and do your sacrifice for God, which I've heard people call I'm honoring God. Right? Well, if you want to honor God, Solomon says to be more ready to hear. And he says why? He says because people that are people that are coming to church, people that are in the house of God, the ones that are rushing to do sacrifice, right? That are more ready to do their works, do ready to do good deeds, good ready to do good stuff for God more than hear the word. It's because they don't consider that they're doing evil, that they're doing adversity, affliction, calamity, right? worry, sickness, lack, poverty, right? shame, sorrow, sadness, trouble, wrong. right? They, they don't even consider they're doing it. So he tells us, listen, be more ready to hear and make course corrections and get yourself on the good list. That's more important than doing your quote, quote, good deeds, doing your works, doing those things that honor God. Remember, the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. It is better for you to hear and make course corrections and consider, am I doing evil? I don't need to be doing evil. I need to cleave to that which is good and begin to do good. And then you could go back and then after you're doing good then you can do your good works quote quote your good deeds Isaiah 5:20 and again i'm talking to us as ministers Isaiah 5:20 says this woe unto them that call evil good and good evil that put darkness for light and light for darkness bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter this is a problem in the body of Christ today. all across the planet. ministers are coming to their pulpits on Sunday and they are calling evil good and good evil, telling people we need to suffer, God's get, put sickness on us, you know to, 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 to test us and to teach us a lesson, which we saw that last week and the week before that don't ever say that, right? James, Jesus's brother says, don't do that. It's from uh, James um, the book of James. Don't say that God's ever testing you with evil. We don't want to call, you know, and it's good to be, you know, wealth is bad, right? We're calling wealth bad. We shouldn't ever want anything. We shouldn't want wealth. We shouldn't want riches. Oh, it's spiritual riches. We don't want any durable riches. So we're calling things on the good list evil. It's the Bible doesn't say that evil is money. It says the love of evil is the root, right? The root of all evil is the love of money. The agape of money, when you're making money your favorite above everything else, right? It says you can't serve God and money. You can't serve two masters. This is interesting because if you think about this, most people are serving money. You go to work to get a paycheck because you, if you had money, you, wouldn't, you would make your money work for you. This is interesting. When I, when I had a job and I was punching a clock, right, and I had to show up, I couldn't obey God. I had to obey my master, which was the paycheck, I could, right? It was easier for me to go, uh, well, I'll say it like this, it's harder for me to obey God if he told me to go do something when I'm obligated to go punch a clock and do work for somebody, right, and work for money and scrap and scrape just to make my bills, right? So I'm constantly thinking, think about this. When you have a lot of food and you're full, you've already eaten a meal. You're not even thinking about money, right? I mean, you're not thinking about food. If you have a bunch of food and you ate a bunch of food and you had a big feast and now I'm full, you can't think. And people are like, hey, you want another piece of pie? You're like, no, I couldn't even think about I would, you know, no, I'm full. When you have money, you don't even think about it. You're not serving it. You send your money out to go to work for you, right? This is what rich people do. Rich people make their money work for them. They don't work for money their money works for them. So this is this is a problem because in our mindset and I say our as ministers we've been telling people and we've been telling congregations since like I don't know 325 AD when Constantine took over the you know the church that uh wealth and riches was evil. It's clearly on the good list. And we've talked about and and ministers say well you know when oh god needed another flower in heaven when Little sister so-and-so died early. No, that's evil. If a 16-year-old or a 4-year-old or even a 40-year-old, somebody dies, it's evil. That's why Jesus said death is the final enemy, right? That's the worst enemy, death. That's the final enemy. It's an enemy. God didn't need some other flower in heaven right? Uh, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is anybody dying in heaven? No, then it's not God's will. It never was his will. Adam and Eve were never created to die. They were never created to have sickness. They were never created to be in lack or have worry or fear. So let's stop calling evil good and good evil. Isaiah says, woe unto you that do that. Woe unto you that do that. Stop calling evil good and good evil. As ministers, we have failed our people. When we stand up there and say that, you know, well, God will get glory out of this sickness. If he wants to heal you, he will. But if he doesn't, oh, God, pray that you get glory out of this. Well, what glory could you get out of someone being sick? That's just ridiculous. Stop calling evil good and good evil, especially from your pulpit. Now, look over here in 3 John. This is 3 John and verse 11. This is the apostle John, and he's speaking to Christians. Third John and verse 11. There's only one chapter. Beloved, he's talking to Christians. Beloved, Christians, people that are born again, people that are in the family of God, follow not that which is evil. Follow not adversity and affliction and calamity and lack and poverty and worry and harm and pain and sorrow and trouble. Follow that not, but follow that which is good. Beautiful, bountiful, better, cheerful and glad, lighthearted and willing, loving, kind, health and prosperity. Follow that. He said, for he or she that doeth good is of God. Now, if we just stop there, we could say, well, if you're not doing good, you're not of God. But that's the opposite of it. He doesn't stop there. So if you're doing good, you're of God. So, if you're doing beauty and bounty and better and the best and happy welfare and riches on our life and you're doing love and abundance, then you're of God. He said, but, so we could extrapolate, we could assume from that that the opposite of that would be true, that if you're not, if you're doing evil, you're not of God. But he spells it out. Look what he says next. He that doeth good is of God. But he or she that doeth evil, adversity, affliction, calamity, sickness, pain, sorrow, trouble, lack, poverty, wrong. right. He that do doeth those or she that do doeth those has not seen God. And that Greek word is actually, it doesn't know God. You don't know him. You haven't experienced him. It's actually a Hebraism, a Hebraism as they call it in the Greek, of experience. Know and experience. You haven't experienced him firsthand. Now, a lot of people, they, they look at that. He's talking to Christians, people that are born again. Read this. He's, he says, beloved, Don't follow that which is evil, but follow that which is good. So I know that Christians have, he was, these people that he was reading, they they were following evil. Not good. Otherwise, he wouldn't tell them. It has nothing to do with whether you're born again or not. He that doeth good is of God, but he that do or she that doeth evil has not seen, hasn't experienced God. You don't know him. And I want you to think for a second. When Jesus talked about to Nicodemus in John 3 that you have to be born again. Nicodemus said, well, can I go back in my mother's womb a second time? And she's like, no, man, listen, you have to be born of the flesh, born the first time of the physical flesh. That qualifies you when you're a human, you're born of the flesh. It qualifies you to be born of the spirit, born of the flesh and born of the spirit. When you believed on Jesus, God's spirit mixed with your spirit and you became born again. And you'll see this concept all throughout the New Testament that when you're born, you're an infant. You have to grow up just like when you were born physically, you didn't come out the womb full grown. When you were all born, all of us, when we're born physically, we came out. I don't even remember when I was born. Do you? Probably not. Probably not. Someone had to tell me the t- the date and the time I can't even remember the date and the time and it's on my birth certificate. Right? So, but, but what happened is I didn't know my parents. I didn't experience, I had no idea who they were. I didn't, as I grew and I got older and listen, when I was two years old, I didn't know them as well as when I was 30 years old. When I was five years old, I knew them better than when I was two, but not as good as when I was 12. And when I was 12 years old, I began to know more things about my parents, That right? And then when I became 15 or 18, I became an adult. And in my 20s, in my 30s, and my 40s, and in my 50s, I knew them even better. The more that you mature, the more that you would know your father in heaven. It's the same way as physical growth, spiritual growth. Most people, they get born again and they stay infants, two or three years old, right, in the spiritual realm, and they could be 80 or 90 years old physically growth doesn't happen automatically. Think about this. When you were born, did you just grow automatically or did your mom and dad have to do stuff? No, they had to feed you. They had to nurture you. They had to protect you. They had to give you food and drink. They had to teach you in order to grow. Growth doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen automatically physically, and it doesn't happen automatically spiritually. So as you're growing, you should be able to know and experience God on a higher level. But when you're doing evil, it's because you don't know him. It doesn't mean you're not born again. It means you don't know him. Right? So people are like, well, I know know Jesus. Not if you're living in adversity and affliction and calamity and believing God put it on you. You don't know him. Right? (laughs) Don't blame God for like, you know, hurricanes and tornadoes and wildfires and poverty and lack and famine. If you If you were blaming him for that, it's because you don't know him. You don't know his character. You don't know his goodness. So we want to know we want to be able to grow up spiritually so that we do know God and we experience him and experience his character. So if you haven't in the past, don't beat yourself up over it. We don't feel guilty about that we did evil. We didn't know. And as we grow, we do more and more on the good list. We do more beauty and bounty and better and the best. And we refuse adversity, affliction, sickness, calamity, and lack, right? Remember, we said that last week that Jesus even had to refuse evil and choose good. So let's look and see what Jesus says about this. In Matthew 12 and verse 33, I want to pick up in verse 33, Matthew 12 and verse 33, either make the tree good and its fruit good, his or her fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his or her fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his or her fruit. So we need to make our tree good, not it, it's not corrupt, right? We don't want to, and corrupt is like, you know, it doesn't say that you're completely evil, but it's... It, <laughs> If my water supply was corrupt, it would have bad, it would have poison in it. It doesn't have to be, I'm not drinking arsenic or poison or gasoline, but if there was an, an oil leak or something seeping into the water, then the water would be corrupt. It's not totally bad, but there's an admixture of evil in there. So what we need to do is make our tree good and our fruit good. And look what he says. He said, oh, generation of vipers, in verse 34, how can you, he's, he's talking to religious people, he's talking to the Pharisees, he's talking to ministers, if you will. How can you, being evil, speak good things? Well, it's impossible. If, you, if in your heart you are fixed on adversity and affliction and calamity and displeasure and worry and heaviness and harm and pain and suffering and lack, you cannot speak good. Just keep reading. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever is in, this is why in my corporate coaching business, when I and this is what I said to you guys before, when I'm reading your assignments, I see what your self-talk is. I know what's in your heart by what comes out of your mouth or what you put on the paper. It's even worse on paper because if you put it down and if you type it or you wrote it, I know you had to think of it more than you did if you just said it. And this is what this is what the science says is that you think a thought at least three times before it comes out of your mouth. And it's probably a hundred times before you wrote it. Right? It's a lot more than three in order to write it. So if whatever you're writing or whatever you're speaking, that's what's in your heart. If you're speaking worry, if you're speaking sickness, if you're speaking lack, Oh, I don't know how we're going to do it. Oh, I don't know how I'm going to get the bills paid. Oh, I don't have enough. I can't do it. Remember, through all things through Christ, I can do it. If you're saying, anytime you catch yourself saying, I can't know, know that in your heart, remember thoughts, imaginations, and strongholds, there's a stronghold in your heart that if evil's coming out of there, it's because it's out of your heart and out of the abundance of the heart. That means it's in there a lot, which is funny because like I said, the Bible always backs up science. Jesus said this uh, 2,000 years ago, we just figured this stuff out about three, you know, we have 70,000 to 80,000 thoughts a day, and we only on average speak 15,000 words. That means you've had to think something three to four times before it came out of your mouth. Jesus says the same thing here. Out of the abundance of the heart, the abundance of your, you know, all the thoughts uh, that are going on in there, then your mouth is going to speak. Verse 35 of Matthew 12, a good man or a good man or woman, a good human out of the good treasure of the heart brings forth good things. So someone who does beauty and bounty and better in the best and cheerful and glad and lighthearted and willing out of the good treasure in their heart, those strongholds in their heart of beauty, bounty, better, the best, happy, welfare, cheerful and glad, lighthearted and willing wealth and prosperity and health and and uh, healing. You're going to bring forth good things. That's the good fruit he was talking about just two verses ago. Beauty and bounty and better and the best and riches, honor, and life. You're going to bring forth those things. And an evil human out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. So here's the process, man. If, if it, you're bringing forth in your life and your mouth is come spitting and spewing evil things, and if you're calling good evil and evil good, I know that you're not a good person. You don't have a good heart. I know that's harsh, but I didn't say it. Jesus did. He said, you have an evil, you're an evil person. You have an evil heart. If you're speaking and focusing on evil, if you're constantly producing evil in your life and in your words, then you're not an evil tree. You're, I mean, not a good tree. You're a corrupt tree and you have an evil heart. Matthew 12 and verse 36, but I say unto you, That every idle word that men shall speak, humans shall speak, they will give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you'll be condemned. Now, I want to untangle that a little bit because a lot of times we think that we're not going to have, every time I say, gosh, golly, gosh darn, you know, cheese whiz and all this, you know, that I'm going to be, you know, I said bad words, I cussed, you know, I'm going to have to, in the day of judgment, all right, so and then I'm going to get hit with the bug smacker. Jesus is saying, "Listen, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about on earth and when you're living your life and how your thoughts and your beliefs and your imaginations are evil. It produces evil things. Now, the word idle here in the Greek means non-working or unemployed word. So a non-working word, a working word is one that points you towards good. I don't have time to totally get into this right now, but but faith. Right. He said, if you had the faith of a grain of a mustard seed, you would say to this mountain, be removed and it would be moved into this, be cast into the sea and it would obey you. So on the good list, all my words that are producing good and uh, words of faith are working words. They're words that I put to work when I speak about riches on our life. When I speak by Jesus stripes, I've already been healed. That's a working word. When I say, well, I'm sick. Well, God heals one and doesn't heal another. That's a non-working word. That's an idle word. Right, And it says if we're speaking those words, worry is a non-working word. Fretting is non-working words. When we speak fretting and worry words, we're going to have a payday. That's what it says, give an account. There will be a payment due in the day of judgment. And now I'm going to spell what that Greek word judgment is. I want you to write it down, and that way you can read it. That Greek word judgment is spelled this in the English, K R I -S 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 S. I S K R S K R I S I S K R I S I S. That's the word crisis. As we get the English word, we use it with a C, but it's the English word crisis. Now they translated a judgment here, but let's translate it crisis. But I say unto you that every evil, non-working, worrying word that comes out of your mouth You're going to pay a price in the day of crisis. See, when when crisis comes in your life, when you've been speaking worry and you've been speaking adversity, you've been speaking sickness, right, then crisis comes in your life. There's consequences. Those uh, those words all catch up with you. If you haven't been speaking by Jesus stripes, I've been healed. The day that you get the, uh, the diagnosis of that disease, all those words catch up to you and now you're paying a price. Because now you're going to have to dig your way out of it. So we want to get as ministers, we want to get in front of it. And we also want to teach our people to not be speaking worry, speaking non-working words, because when a crisis happens in their life, now we have a huge fight. There's a payday when crisis hits. For by the words of your mouth, you'll be justified. That means you'll get a winning sentence under equity. right? And we haven't talked about that, but God's court, remember, a covenant, is a legally binding contract and more than a contract that is automatically valid in a court of equity, not a court of law. So equity has two meanings. Equity is the assets, the value of an asset owned, which is riches on in life. That's God's equity. But his court is also a court of equity. He's not at a court of law. When God gives judgments, he gives judgments based on the laws, if you will. The rules is really what it is of equity, the rules of equity, the maxims of equity. When we teach on righteousness, I will teach you what those rules are. There's 12 rules of righteousness or maxims of equity in which God hands down judgments. You want to get a winning sentence, a winning judgment by the working words that you say. When you say, by Jesus stripes, I am healed. Riches, honor, and life belong to me. All the promises are yes and amen. When your words line up with God, he can give you legally a winning sentence. They belong to you. But when your words are worry and adversity and affliction and calamity and grief and harm and heaviness, it says you'll be condemned in the day of crisis. It's right now on earth. Not when you get to heaven. Listen, Jesus paid for all your sins. They're already gone. There is no payment for those sins. The wrath of God does not abide on you. What happens, though, when you say these non-working words, words off the evil list, You get losing sentences here on earth. This is why some people get healed and other people don't. This is why some people walk in prosperity and abundance and other people don't. And they're both Christians. Begin to look at the people that even people that don't even understand good and evil, quote, quote, or righteousness or holiness or anything religious. Just look at people, the people that have the most abundance and have the most healthy lifestyle. They speak good over their lives. They speak good. They don't speak evil. They don't speak adversity and affliction. They look at as adversity as something to overcome. Right? They they look at uh, you know affliction as something to beat it. We beat affliction. We beat calamity. We overcome it. They don't worry about stuff. They go to work and they solve problems. They they do things on the beautiful list, the bountiful list, the better. They're cheerful and glad. They're lighthearted and willing. They're ready. They're available for immediate use. They're putting excellence out there. They live in excellence. They live in the finest. They put their finest effort out there. This is so big because we've been calling evil good and good evil. We've been doing evil and we don't even know God. And then and Jesus says, listen, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks of all that evil is built in there. And we go to church and we remember it's because we don't even consider that we're doing evil. That's what it said in Ecclesiastes. We don't even consider it. So why is this so important? How do we fix this? How do we fix all the the evil strongholds and uh, and the evil beliefs that we don't even necessarily know it exists? Listen, when we go to church, we end up talking about sin all the time, and you know suffering, and you know lack. We we talk about all these the works of the flesh. We talk about, you know, we don't measure up. We talk about, right, this is what, this is what we, we go there. I don't feel better after sitting in church a lot of times. You feel worse because the minister is just beating you down. If you notice, I don't spend a whole lot of time talking about the works of the flesh or sin. I'm not a hellfire and brimstone kind of guy. Why, Andrew? Why don't you focus on it? I had somebody accuse me. Well, you only hit the surface of sin. You never really dig deep into sin. And tell, oh, we don't need to. And here's why. Jesus said it in Matthew 6. In Matthew 6 and 22, he says this, The light of the body is the eye, or the Greek word is vision or focus. The light of the body is your vision or focus. Therefore, if your eye or your focus is single, and I'm singularly focused on the good list and the goodness of God, the whole body shall be full of light. But if your eye, your focus is evil, adversity, affliction, calamity, great grief, harm, heaviness, lack, sorrow, trouble, wrong, depression, anxiety, then your whole body will be full of darkness. He didn't say your spirit would be full of darkness. He said your body would be full of darkness. Remember, we talked about that, that most Christians are warring in the flesh. Why? Because we're looking at the evil list. We're focused on the evil list. He said, if therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? It's even worse for a Christian to be focusing on evil. Uh, the darkness that would be in us is even worse. How great is that darkness? Right? This is like the curse of the law. It's specific to covenant people have been, it's worse for you, right, to be in the covenant and break it than if you were never in the covenant at all. The light of the body is the eye. So if you want to keep the covenant, right? Focus on good. The light of the eye, though, I mean, the light of the body is the eye. Your focus, if your focus is single, your whole body will be full of light. If you're focusing on evil, your whole body is full of darkness. So here's how you keep the covenant. This is how you're going to do it is focus on beauty and bounty and better and the best and do good and choose good and refuse evil. Stop calling evil good and good evil. Now, As ministers, we're going to take, and and remember, I told you when we first got born again, we're infants, infants. And as we grow and we get more mature, then we become, we should become masters and teachers or leaders, instructors. Hebrews 5 and verse 12 Hebrews 5 and verse 12. We're going to look at this and see exactly how is it what's the what's the qualification to being a pastor, to being a leader, to being a minister, to being a shepherd, to being a teacher. Hebrews 5 and verse 12. For when the time that you ought to be teachers, or masters, it says in the Greek, for in the time you ought to be teachers, masters, instructors, ministers, pastors, you have need that one teach you again which be the first principles of the oracles of God, the rhema of God. You're, you should be masters by now, he said, but you're having me have to, I have to go back and teach you the first principles again. And people that have to even learn the first principles of the oracles of God, the rhema, the spoken word of God, they are such as become of have need milk and not strong meat for they milk and not meat. See, this is a baby. You got to go back and you got to get, if you're, 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 hmm. With the time you should be a master, he says, we got to go back to the first principles and give you breast milk. You got to be fed milk. And you can't even have real food, solid food. For verse 13, everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he or she is a baby, a babe, unskillful in the word of righteousness. The word of, remember, righteousness is equity. It's the covenant. This hit the Old Testament, the New Testament. That's the covenant. The word of righteousness. Equity. If you're unskillful in the word of righteousness, you're unskillful in this word of equity, you're a babe. You need milk, not meat. But, verse 15, strong meat belongs to them that are of full age or mature or grown up, masters and teachers, pastors and leaders. Right? And you don't have to be a pastor to be a leader. Not at all. You don't have to be a pastor or a minister to be full grown. He's telling everybody to be full grown and be a master, and right? That even those who are these masters, who are these mature people, who are these ones that should be teaching? Because that's what we're, we're the commission is to go into all the world and make disciples, not only for us to be disciplined, but to be masters and teach other disciples. We should be discipling others. Here's how do we do it, Andrew? It, what's the cutoff point what how what's the what is it what's that look like? It looks like this even those who are those that should make disciples? who are those masters and teachers? who are those leaders? even those who by reason of use, habitual use, it says in the Greek, by habit or automatically, it's just like any habit you have, you automatically do it without even thinking about it. Even those who by reason of use, who had the habit of They have their senses exercised. That's what I see, what I hear, what I touch, what I taste, what I smell. Have my senses, that's my flesh, have my senses exercised to discern, have judicial evidence of both good and evil. This is how a master, this is a master who is habitually practicing. With his senses or her senses, what I see, what I hear, what I touch, what I smell, what I taste, with my flesh, I can automatically discern good from evil. This is a master. This is a teacher. This is not just somebody who is a disciple but could go make other disciples. Do you, do you see how messed up it's been in the body of Christ? We've got people who are in charge that are calling evil good and good evil. They haven't used their senses to discern discern good from evil. They don't know. They th- they've been calling suffering holy and good and glorifying God. That's wrong. That's and that's on the evil list. This, I, I I. This is like understanding this. Our job as ministers is to become masters. Our job as disciples is to become full grown and mature and become masters and teach others and make other disciples to do the same. And Hebrews says this is how you're a master disciples. When you have your senses, your flesh has been exercised so that you habitually can identify discern with judicial evidence between good and evil. When I'm experiencing evil, I need to know that that's evil. A master says, nope, that's evil. Adversity, sickness, nope, that's evil. Lack, I don't have, uh, lack of abundance, that's evil. Poverty, that's evil. Shame, that's evil. Depression, that's evil. I'm stirred up emotionally, that's evil. Tribulation, evil. Disaster, evil. If I'm annoyed, confused, or outraged, evil. Anything that's not working properly, evil. If I'm uh, I'm perplexed or agitated, I'm at unrest, evil. Oh, beautiful. That's that's good. Bountiful, ample, and extra. That's good. Better, stronger, faster, smarter. That's good. I'm going to go for that. Cheerful and glad, lighthearted and willing. That's good. I'm at ease. I'm relaxed. I'm unworried. Good. Well-favored. People like me, even when it's unfair to other people. That's good. Health and prosperity. Happy welfare. Good. Loving. Agape. That's good. Kind and useful. That's good. Delighted and satisfied. That's good. That's not evil. The finest and the best. Success. Great abundance. Riches. Far richer than riches. That's good. Not evil. See, if you want to be a master, you have to have your senses trained to habitually discern, to have judicial evidence. You go, nope, that's evil and that one's good. So back in Ecclesiastes 5, that's why it says this, when you go, when you keep your foot, when you go to the house of God to be more ready to hear than to give sacrifice, because the fools that do that, they don't consider, they consider not that they're doing evil. Why don't we consider? See, this is the question. All this has been going on for, for hundreds of years, literally. Hundreds of years, we haven't even been considering that we're doing evil. Our ministers, our leaders, our pastors, they haven't been helping us consider it. In fact, they've been calling evil good and good evil, and we go to church, we haven't even been considering that we're doing adversity and affliction and calamity and great grief and harm. Why? The reason is uh, in Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 11. Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 11, Solomon gives us a clue of why we don't consider that we're doing evil. Why have we never even considered it before now? Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 11 says this. Here's why. Because the sentence against evil and an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore, the heart of the sons of humans is fully set on them that do evil. Why don't we consider it? Because evil takes a long time, the sentence against evil. You could be saying words of worry, words of lack, words of sickness, oh, and suffering and pain. You could say those a long time before the sentence of evil comes. Remember, condemned and justified, a winning sentence or a losing sentence. The reason is that where our hearts are fully set to do adversity and affliction and calamity and lack and sorrow and suffering and worry is because the sentence against those evil works, doesn't come very quickly. In verse 12, it says, though a sinner, now who's a sinner? A sinner is anyone who settles for less than God's perfect will. Remember that? A sinner is someone who misses the mark. The mark is perfect will, good will, acceptable will. Anything off the target is a sin. A sinner is anyone who settles for less than God's perfect will. Though a sinner do evil a hundred times. No sinner would do evil. You could do it. You could do adversity a hundred times. You could do worry a hundred times and your days are prolonged yet. Solomon says, surely I know that it will be good with them that fear God, which fear before him. Listen, just because evil takes a, it could be, you could do it a hundred times. You get away with it a hundred times. It's prolonged. Your days could go forever. Listen, I know people that lived into their nineties. Their whole life was nothing but evil. Oh, and they were born again. Yes. They were born again. They were ministers. They were missionaries. They got a, their whole life. But he says, but this I know that if you fear God, you fear before him, it will be good or well, it says, translated in the King James, the word good. It'll be good with them that fear God. Now, if you remember from the covenant series, Right that we found out that the definition of fearing God was in Proverbs 8, 13. Proverbs eight thirteen. Remember this. It tells us exactly what the fear of the Lord is. The fear of the Lord is to hate like a personal enemy, hate like a personal enemy, evil, <laughs> pride and arrogancy, the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. Remember that. Remember that the fear of the Lord, right? So Solomon says twice here, he says it in Ecclesiastes, that's going to be good with you if you fear God. Then he tells you fearing God is to hate the evil list, hate pride and arrogancy. That's not being teachable. That's you being like, oh, no, suffering is for me. See, this is what pride is, is that you feel like you have to suffer for the Lord, that you think it's honoring God if you suffer. That's the epitome of pride. Jesus suffered so you don't have to. If you have to suffer, then what you're saying to Jesus is that what he did is not enough. Hey, Jesus, I appreciate what you did, but it ain't enough. If you have to suffer with sickness, then what Jesus taking stripes on his back and being beaten by the Romans wasn't enough. If you have to suffer for your sins, then what Jesus did on the cross was not enough. And you're telling him that's pride and arrogance. He said, if you fear the Lord, you have to get rid of that. You have to hate that like a personal enemy. You have to hate adversity and affliction and lack and sickness and sorrow and trouble and wrong and worry like a personal enemy. He said, if you do, it's going to be good with you. Hate the evil way. The evil way, way is a lifestyle of evil. Do you know anyone that has a tired lifestyle of being miserable? <laughs> their whole life is misery. They have a lifestyle of it. They want to get you on their evil train and suck you in and make you ride on the train with them. Well, I don't do it. I won't do it. The froward mouth, do I hate? Froward means I'm saying anything that doesn't line up with the word of God. Whatever God says about me is what I need to say. Just going right back to what Jesus is calling good evil and evil good. That's a froward mouth. So let's talk about this, you know, fear in the Lord, right? So I've heard people say, well, it means reverential respect. So, all right, we'll start there with that. Let's just say that the fear of the Lord is reverential respect. It's because I respect my father. Now, my dad, my earthly father, my dad, right? When I was, he's a, you know, missionary minister and he was a singer and he said he loved the music that he loved was the old hymns, you know, like George Beverly Shay off of Billy Graham crusade, the old hymns, Amazing Grace, How Great Thou Art. right? Um, Blessed Assurance. He loved those old hymns. He loved them. So whenever my dad would come around me or we would be in the car for a ride or whatever, that's the music that I would put on in my car. I would play those old hymns. Right. I wouldn't put in rock and roll or jazz or even, you know, country music or even newfangled praise and worship. He didn't like drums and guitars and all that. Right. He liked the old hymns because I had reverential, I had fear for the fear for my dad. I had reverential respect for my dad. I would put on the music that he liked when he was around me, because if I did whatever I I would be. I know he doesn't like the other music. Me playing the other music would be sticking it to him. Right. It would just be annoying him. It'd be like running fingers down a chalkboard. It'd be like a thorn in his, you know, a a stone in his shoe, if you will. Not a thorn in his side, but it could be. But a stone in his. If you've ever had a pebble in your shoe, it's just irritating. So when we do evil, every time that you tolerate evil, because fearing the Lord, if you want to have reverential respect for your heavenly father, don't be playing different kind of music than he likes. The music he likes is the good list. He likes beauty and bounty and better and the best and happy welfare and cheerful and glad and lighthearted and willing and health and prosperity and abundance. That's what he likes. When you tolerate adversity and affliction and calamity and great grief and harm and heaviness and lack and sorrow and worry, when you tolerate those things, it's like a pebble in his shoe. You're sticking it to him, it's irritating him. I don't want to do this. It's not honoring God for you to tolerate evil. It's the opposite. It's, if you want to honor God, then don't tolerate evil. In fact, hate evil, it says, like a personal enemy. Like you got to kill it before it kills you. Remember, by humility and the fear of the Lord is riches, honor, our life, Proverbs 22, 4. By humility and the fear of the Lord is riches, honor, and life. So I'm going to be teachable and I'm going to hate evil like a personal enemy. I'm going to have reverential respect for my father and I'm not going to tolerate evil. I'm only going to play the music of the good list. Right. when I'm around him, which is 24 seven. So I'm not going to every time that I tolerate evil, not just not not just like do evil, but when I tolerate evil, it says I hate it like a personal. Enemy. You can't even tolerate it. You can't tolerate worry. You can't tolerate sickness. Listen, in my house, I don't tolerate sickness. I don't tolerate gossip. I don't tolerate drama. I don't tolerate worry or despondent or dejected or trouble or wrong. We don't. When you come in my house, it's nothing but the good list in here. I won't tolerate it. That's honoring God. When you're suffering and you tolerate suffering, it's like you're sticking it to your old man, the, your father in heaven. You're sticking it to your father. So be alert. Now, here's what I, you have to be on alert on this stuff. It's very subtle, very subtle. Galatians 1.6, Paul warns us about this. He said, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ. Unto another gospel. (laughs) He's like, I'm shocked that that fast you went from the good list to the evil list. And I'll show you that's what it says here in a second. Which is not another gospel, but there are some that trouble you. Trouble is on the evil list. Remember, that's difficulty, unrest, perplex, agitated, trouble. It's right off the, he said, I'm shocked that you don't stick with the gospel that was preached to you, the grace of Christ. They came with another set of good news, another gospel. He said it's not another gospel. He said it's troubling you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Here's the gospel. That word gospel literally means good news or the message of good. The gospel of Christ is literally the good list. <laughs> I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Like, look, that's, what is the gospel of Christ? Let's ask that question. What did Jesus say it was? So here it's summed up in one verse. He said, you know, in, in Luke 4, Luke 4 and verse 18. Remember, uh, he, uh, he's, he's going to get up and, and read in the synagogue. This is after he comes back from being tempted of the devil. He gets filled with the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost comes upon him after he gets baptized by John, goes into the desert for 40 days, comes out. And now he's reading. First thing he does is go to the synagogue. They hand him the book. He opens it up to Isaiah and he says this. This is the gospel of Christ, the good news. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel, good news, the message of good to the poor. Let me ask you something. What's good news to a poor person? That you got to keep staying in poverty, that he wants you to not have anything in life? No, a good news to a poor person is you don't have to be poor anymore. That's good news. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, not be sick, heal good news. You don't have to be poor, good news. Healing, good news. Deliverance to the captives, good news. Recovering of sight to the blind, good news. Set you at liberty, those that are bruised, good news. And to preach the acceptable, the favor of the Lord, the acceptable year of the Lord, jubilee, freedom, debt-free, jubilee year, jubilee, all the debts were canceled. This is the gospel of Christ, good news, beauty, bounty, better, the best. That's what the gospel is. Go you into all the world and preach the gospel, the good news, beauty, bounty, better, the best. If someone isn't, he said, but in verse 8 of Galatians 1, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel, anything other than the good list to you than which we've preached unto you, let them be accursed. Let them be accursed. And in case you didn't get it the first time, in verse 9, he says, and as we said before, I'm going to say it now again. If any person preach any other gospel unto you other than what you received, let them be accursed. If anybody is calling evil good and good evil, let them be accursed. The good list is the good news. That's the gospel of Christ. Healing abundance freedom liberty debt free blind eyes open no more suffering sickness sorrow trouble or wrong this is the good news paul said listen if someone comes to you and tries to pervert that and trouble you with anything other than the good list let them be accursed i didn't say it i'm just reading the bible that's a very that's why isaiah said woe unto them that call evil good and good evil that's not for us as we are masters Right? Teachers, instructors, full grown sons and daughters. We have our senses exercised to discern habitually good from evil. We're not going to call evil good anymore and good evil. We're not going to put people, trouble them with, you know, perverting the gospel of Christ, the good news of Christ. If what you're saying doesn't match up to Luke 4 18, stop saying it. We know this in Genesis 1 31. Right out. This is how he starts the whole book. And God saw everything that he hath made, and behold, it was very good. Very good. Everything God made is very good. Very good. Now, I do want to hit I want to give you this reference. I'm going to close out with this. Because there have been people in my life, including my very own parents tried to quote a scripture to me to prove that God created evil. And all this is doing is casting doubts on the character of God. They've tried to cast doubt and say that God created evil only so that we could know good, which is completely wrong. It's completely the opposite of everything that we see in the Bible. And they did try to quote a verse. So I'm going to look at that verse and we're going to untangle it. So if someone comes to you as a leader and a minister and a pastor, I'm going to give you the tool to undo this one single verse in the Bible that they quote. And it's in Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45, 5. I want you to turn there and look at it. Isaiah 45, 5. It says, I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though you have not known me. Now, remember in John, in 3 John, verse 11, he said, if those that do evil don't know me. He said, even though you haven't known me. Verse 6, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west, there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. So we know who's talking here. It's God, the creator of the universe. Remember, we just saw in Genesis 1, 31, that everything he made was very good verse 40 or verse uh, 7 of Isaiah 45 this is the verse that my my own father my earthly father tried to quote to me i form the light and create darkness i make peace and create evil and i the lord do all these things well there it is andrew it says it right there he created darkness and he created uh, he created evil well, that's interesting, because that doesn't match up with anything that I've read anywhere else in the Bible, and it doesn't match up with this character. So I dug in. Interesting enough, that word create, that, is, that they translated it create here in Isaiah 45, 7. I want you to look at a scripture passage where they, cre- they take that same exact word, and we'll see how they translate it over here. In Joshua 17, 14. Let's go to Joshua 17, and verse 14. I want you to see if you can tell which word it is. And the children of Joseph spake unto Joshua, saying, so this is the children of Israel. They've already gone into Jericho. They've got Ai. They've been in the country for several years, and they still haven't taken all the promised land. So the children of Joseph are coming to Joshua, and they're complaining because they need more inheritance. They want more property. They want bigger cities, more cities. They want more and better. So here's the children of Joseph, the tribe they came to Joshua and said, why have you given us only one lot and one portion to inherit of this promised land, seeing that we are a great people for as much as the Lord blessed us hereunto." So the children of Joseph, that's Manasseh and Ephraim, those two half tribes, they're wanting more property. They want more portion. They want a double portion. Now here, look in verse 15. Joshua answered them, and he said, if you be a great people, then get you up to the wood country where there's forests and stuff and cut down for thyself there in the land of the parasites and the land of the giants and in the Mount of Ephraim be too narrow for you. Then go up to the land of the giants and cut them down. Now, what word do you think? Well, how do you think it was translated? I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I'm the Lord and I do all these things in Joshua seven, 15, Seventeen fifteen, Joshua, 17, 15, Joshua says, if you're a great people, go up there to the land of the giants and create. No, it's the word cut down. It's translated cut down here, and it should be translated cut down in Isaiah 45. So let's take that word cut down. I want you to look it up on your concordance or your e- sword and see what that's what the Hebrew is. It's the word cut down. So in Isaiah 45, seven, let's use the word cut down since that's how really what it means. And that's how it's translated over in Joshua. yeah, It fits here, too. I form the light and I cut down darkness. I make peace and cut down evil. I am the Lord. I do these things, which makes total sense because God cuts down. His face can't, is against anyone that does evil. He cuts down adversity. He cuts down affliction. He cuts down calamity. He cuts down lack. He cuts down. That's the whole point of the gospel of Christ, Why the good news. So don't say that God created evil. You look this up for yourself. So you see, it's not me. I did the work. I did the research. I went and I took it to my father, who was also, he's a, you know, a theologian, got a doctorate, you know, a master's in Greek. And when I showed it to him, he just like, ah, uh, wow. Right. Cause it's shocking. If you actually believed your whole life that God was creating evil so you could know good, you're not sure if God's good or not. He created evil. He didn't create it. He cut it down. He said, I form the light and I cut down darkness. I make peace and I cut down evil. Now, you want to show this is God's character in Isaiah 14, 12, Isaiah 14, 12. He says, How art you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground You that did weaken the nations? Lucifer got cut down. God didn't lift him up. He cut him down. God cuts down evil. In fact, it said Lucifer was made, he was made perfect and was perfect until iniquity was found in him. The word iniquity means predisposed to evil. You have a disposition towards adversity, affliction, calamity, grief, harm, heaviness. That's what iniquity is, predisposition towards evil. Satan didn't have that, and he wasn't created that way. Maybe we can look at that another time, but what Satan, was with, with all of his merchandising and his traffic, and he got his ego, was he's like, I could do God's job better than God. That's where... That's where that disposition to adversity came and affliction came. I, I go take God's turn. I can do it better than him. He wasn't created that way. See, every the, the interesting thing, that's why the tree of the uh, knowledge, the awareness of good and evil was in the garden. Because God lets everyone have free will choice. It's it was Satan's choice whether to rebel or not. God didn't make him to rebel. It's just that's just stupid. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard, that God, God wanted to create adversity for himself. That just doesn't even make sense, and he doesn't create adversity for you. God is good. He's very good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is beautiful and bountiful and better and the best and cheerful and glad and lighthearted and willing and the finest and the best and health and prosperity. Taste and see. God's good. Don't doubt his care. That's all Satan did in the Garden of Eden. He got, them, he got Adam and Eve to doubt the goodness of God. He said, look, God's trying to, trying to hide something from you. If you eat that tree of the knowledge, the awareness of good and evil, you're going to be smarter than him. Pride and arrogancy. No, don't fall for it. Don't call evil good and good evil. Woe unto them. Right? Consider when you take your foot, when you go into the house of God, be more ready to hear. Consider that, you know what? In the past, I've done adversity and affliction and calamity and sickness and sorrow and lack. Not anymore. No, I'm a master because I've I've exercised my senses to discern good from evil. I'm, I'm, I could spot it a mile away. That's the evil list. That's the good list. <laughs> I can see it. Adversity, affliction, calamity, worry, despondency, trouble, wrong, sickness, lack, beauty, bounty, ample, extra, abundance, cheerful and glad, lighthearted, willing, loving, good, kind, abundance, success, excellence. See, we already you should have your senses exercised so that you could be a master and disciple others. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Seal it in our hearts. As Holy Spirit, as we go and we walk through of this life every day, help us, helper, the great comforter, our helper, our paraclete, help us to take this definitions of good and evil and use it to discern, have judicial estimation and evidence between the two, and always choose good and refuse the evil. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.